0: Well, amen. Everybody say, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. All right. All thank you, all 10 of you. That's fantastic. Well, today I have a unique message that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about, and I've titled this message, How to Counter Cancel Culture. And I want to talk to you about that today. But before I do, let me just get back up a little bit and do a quick little review of where we have come to, to this point. Uh, this past month. This is the month of May, and we chose over the course of 2021 to review our church values, uh, those values that we hold as core values for our, our house. And one of those values is the value of honor. And so the month of May, we have taken to speak about the power and the value of honor in the house. And one of the things you'll notice if you go to the dictionary and you look up the word honor is you'll notice that every dictionary definition includes the idea of esteeming others higher than yourself or of being esteemed by others as better than themselves. So it's when we lift up and we exalt other people as being higher than ourselves that we really are beginning to walk in honor. I know one of my favorite definitions of honor was by Ken Gill, and he said, honor is love expressed publicly. Now, that's not the only definition of honor, because sometimes it would be better for you to maybe do it privately than to do it publicly. Uh, Doing it publicly might be uh, something that would be, uh, you know, not appropriate in in a particular situation. But bottom line is, is honor is when you recognize that somebody else has imparted something into you and into the body, and you are willing and desirous to lift them up and to exalt them higher than yourself. That is honor. And when we publicly express that, there's an expression of honor that goes out that I think literally can shift the atmosphere when we begin to live and to walk out that kind of honor. And we've chosen to talk about honor because for us at Desert Stream, we believe it's important to look at people the way God does. That the foundation of honor is to look at people the way God does. And God declares that everyone has value. Every person that we encounter has value. Danny Silk writes in his book, Culture of Honor, that honor has fallen on hard times in our culture. Independence is worshiped. We focus on our private relationships with God and have a hard time recognizing spiritual authority and considering others as more important than ourselves. Bill Johnson summarized it very well when he said, every person that you encounter is one that the Lord Jesus Christ is honored in his life and death and resurrection. So how do we build a culture of honor? Well, you know, I I always liked Mark Twain, and uh, he said, he said, it's better to deserve honors and not have them than to have them and not deserve them. And I always thought that was kind of comical. Uh, Bill Johnson again writes in his uh, In Danny Silk's book, Culture of Honor, he says, many people live in atmospheres void of honor, and they desperately seek our help in creating such a culture. Pastors often ask us to come and teach their church and staff how to show honor. The need is real, and the desire is genuine. But this culture is never built, hear this, this culture is never built around what I need. This culture is built around what I can give. It's not about what I need or what honors I think should be coming to me. It's about what honors I can give and what honors I'm indebted to express to other people and to give to other people. The environment of honor is a place, then, that provides safety and security in the body of Christ because as we honor others, we allow them to be everything that they are. And we allow them to be the person and the gift that they are. And in, in reciprocally, we receive back from that person the gift they are to the body of Christ. Danny Silk writes again, he says, acknowledging accurately who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and to receive the gift of who they are in our lives. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And that, was, that is what happens when we live and walk in a culture of honor. The culture, I mean, of honor is also central to, to the apostolic church. Because when you have an apostolic community where apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists all operate together, it can only happen when each gift honors and values the other gift as higher than themselves, as being of uh, uh, more importance than themselves and of their own gift. And when we do that, when we walk that way, drop a piece of paper, When we walk that way, we release the body of Christ to be everything that it can possibly be, to be its very best. Amen? And that's what we want. And when we do that, we also create an environment of freedom where people are free to express their gift, and we uh, create an environment where in that freedom we cause no one else to stumble and fall. Because, you see, when people are free, we could end up doing our own thing. But if we have a culture of honor, that freedom is tempered by honor, and we do what is best for everyone else. That's the culture of honor, and Paul understood that. That's why he wrote in Galatians chapter five, verse 13, he said, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather honor one another in love. You see what Paul was saying? In this beautiful culture of freedom that we have, honor empowers us to put others above ourselves, others' needs above our own, others' desires and, 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 and weaknesses above our own strengths and understandings, and so that we have beautiful peace and harmony in the body of Christ. That's the culture of honor. And that's the power of honor in a nutshell. But clouding our airwaves today are not words of honor, but instead words of dishonor. They're not words to uh, exalt people, but to erase people. They're not words to validate others, but to cancel others. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What is cancel culture? Well, the term cancel culture is quite new, and it sprung into existence as a byproduct of the advancement of social media. Merriam-Webster's dictionary states that to cancel in this context means to stop giving to support to a person. Dictionary.com, in its pop culture dictionary, defines cancel culture as withdrawing support for or canceling public figures and uh, companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Uh, Legea Michon, don't know who that is, by the way, but wrote in the New York Times, the term is symbolically applied to incidents both online and off that range from vigilante justice to hostile debate to stalking, intimidation, and harassment. And the intention of cancel culture, the use of social networking to hold individuals in power to accountability for their behavior, that was the motivation of it. And it may seem laudable to have that motivation, to use social media to hold people accountable. And that sounds like a really good thing. It sounds laudable, but it, there's a twofold problem with that. And let me tell you what they are. First, those being canceled are most often tried and convicted in the courtroom of public opinion on social media without an opportunity for defense. Hear what I'm saying? Don't read between the lines of what I'm saying. Actually listen to what I'm saying. So they get judged in the court of popular public opinion on social media without any opportunity for a de- uh, defense. And secondly, the measurement used to cancel someone is one of mob opinion and cultural dalliance. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Rather than fact. When it comes to cancel culture, the loudest and most dishonoring voice usually is the one that triumphs. From efforts to cancel politicians of old because their deeds do not match the convictions of present-day culture to the erasure of anyone who dares to speak in opposition to current cultural narratives, cancel culture breeds dishonor by functioning in the opposite spirit of grace. As you just heard us speaking over the last month when we talked about righteousness, uh, that this is the opposite spirit of the grace of God that makes us righteous. That is, cancel culture judges someone by their worst day. It judges someone by their worst day or their worst actions, regardless of what other contributions they've made in the past and what changes they're making in the present or for the future. You get that this morning. But whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ, it trains us not to judge people by their past, but to look at people through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ and his precious blood sacrificed for them. So when we see someone, we don't see them through the lens of their past mistakes or errors, especially those who lived years and years ago, but rather we see them as somebody who is loved by God and has the potential through the Lord Jesus Christ to be more tomorrow than they are today and to be more today than they were yesterday. Whereas God calls us to build a culture of honor where everyone is viewed in the image of God, cancel culture views everyone as only having value so long as they continue to walk in line with currently accepted cultural ideals. That's what cancel culture is. Now, what is the problem with this? Well, my dad used to say to me, my dad had lots of little nuggets of wisdom. Uh, Some of them I probably can't even repeat here, but one of the ones that I can repeat is that my dad used to say to me all the time, if you don't have something good to say about someone, don't say anything at all. You know, now that's an old-fashioned adage for sure, but there's an enormous amount of truth to that, that if you don't have something good to say about someone, then really you should be quiet you should be quiet. If you don't have something nice to say and something complimentary to say, then why not just be quiet? Why not just be quiet? I think it was Abraham Lincoln said, you know, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. So sometimes when we open our mouth and we criticize that other person and we try to cancel that other person, all we do is expose how much of an angry, bitter, tyrannical person we have become ourselves. And so my dad's adage, I think, can be used today and is an important one for us to embrace. Now, indeed, there are times when people need to be held accountable for their actions, and we need to speak up. And in so doing, uh, you know, we need to say something about those that sometimes are, are in the place of public trust, say politicians, for example. We, we, they need to be held accountable, especially for the things uh, not only that they uh, say, but that they do. Uh, we need to, you know, uh, those who sit at the top of businesses and organizations, we need to speak out when we see them operating in a way that is not consistent with the the message of their com- company or their product. Uh, we also need to speak out sometimes about Cultural people who hold influence, uh, celebrities, pastors, individuals who maybe have a a large platform from which to speak, and we need to hold them accountable, and we need to uh, make sure that we say something sometimes, because holding people accountable is is particularly important in a day and age where we say that we want to be a people uh, who are focused on the good and not on the evil. But the problem arises when we consider whose standard or standards that we're going to use to hold people accountable to. This is where the problem arises. The criteria for accountability used to be simple. It was the foundation of Judeo-Christian values as expressed through the Scriptures, most importantly through the Ten Commandments, and many of our laws in Canada, North America, and even in uh, Europe were built on this foundational understanding of you know, that we see expressed through the Ten Commandments thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not uh, murder, thou shalt not uh, speak slanderously, you honor your father and your mother, uh, you won't covet or steal. Do you understand what I'm saying? These things, these principles came forth from our Judeo-Christian heritage. However, as culture has withdrawn from faith-based values and moved forward toward moral relativism, the criteria used for holding people accountable is constantly changing. It's constantly changing. Furthermore, what may have been considered uh, a laudable, uh, excellent behavior uh, 50, even 20 years ago, is derogatory today. Take the concept of family, for example, or the terms father and mother. Entire political platforms back in the 1980s and 90s were built around the restoration of family values. I can remember politicians running on that platform saying, we need to rebuild the family. We need to rebuild the family values. And, and they, would, they would champion the concept of family. But today, anyone who espouses support for the concept of any kind of traditional family is attacked as being anti-anyone who chooses not to identify with traditional family. Family today is said to be whatever you define it to be. Whatever you define it to be. And since the definition continues to change, then the criteria for judging others and holding them accountable changes as well. How many know what I'm talking about? You see evidence of this all the time. Now you can get canceled for simply defining family traditionally for example, has happened to Dan Cathay. Does anybody know who Dan Cathay is? Dan Cathy is the owner and founder of Chick-fil-A. And all he did was say that he believed in the traditional definition of marriage. That's all he said. And he was branded as a hate monger, and he was canceled over and over again. Entire cities said they were going to get Chick-fil-A out of their, their, their communities because he was such a horrible man. And yet, if he'd have said that in the 1980s and 90s, he would have been heralded as a champion of the family institution. I also noticed just in the last couple months, how many have ever heard of S.C. Johnson? You've seen their commercials for products from fantastic to whatever, and they would always say at the end of the commercial, S.C. Johnson, a family company. You ever heard that before? I noticed lately they've dropped the moniker, a family company. The tagline's gone. It just says S.C. Johnson. Because, you see, to say a family company is no longer a a culturally accepted term because family's been redefined. So they've dropped that from the moniker of their products. See, in this environment of ever-involving moral absolutes, cancel culture runs rampant, calling for people's erasures for ideas or opinions that were not just acceptable 100 years ago, but in some cases, just 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And this is a problem. This is definitely a problem. And unfortunately, in social media, those who call for the cancel, those who are most expressive do so under, often under pseudonyms, other names, and the ones that are most vocal and the most uh, critical are, are not held accountable for their own words and their own actions. Now, why am I talking about this today? Because I believe that the whole movement of cancel culture is one of the most obvious anti-honor elements in our culture today, and we need to fight back. But how do we fight? How do we fight back? How do you counter the rampant excessive use of cancel culture today? How do you fight when the rules keep changing? How do you do it? Well, you use weapons that transcend culture and changing ideals. You use weapons of divine creation, Weapons of divine power—that is how we fight back. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians ten verses three to five. Listen to this: For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, what are the weapons? that Paul is speaking about. What are the weapons that you and I have to be able to use in this uh, countering of cancel culture that we are faced with in society today? Well, first of all, we have the word, truth. We need to use the word. Not not in a way in which we seek to tear people down, but in a way in which we use to edify people and to bring light to concepts that are true and are correct. We use the word to do that. And, uh, And it is powerfully written, and it is, is there for us at our disposal to be used to speak into situations that are contrary to God's plan. Secondly, we have prayer. We use the weapon of prayer, intercession, intervening in these situations. I think probably one of the greatest reasons that dishonor is able to advance in our culture is because many believers have have stopped falling to their knees and calling out to God and interceding for their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers and the people that they meet every day. We need to become a people of prayer once again. But the third way is through humility. And humility, I've discovered, scripturally, is the foundation for honor. I want to read to you three simple scriptures that I discovered over the last couple weeks that I think are really simple but profound in terms of what they teach us about the role of humility in building honor. Proverbs 15, verse 33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Wow, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And again, in Proverbs 18, verse 12 before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. And then in Proverbs 22, verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. How do we build honor? We build it through humility. How do we esteem? As we already said, honor is esteeming others better than ourselves. How do we do that? We have to have a posture of humility if we will position ourselves humbly before the Lord and before others, honor becomes an extension of our humility. But if we are filled with arrogance and pride, if we think that our opinions and our values and our ideas, not God's, but ours, are better than everybody else's, then honor will never be able to be released in our culture because it needs to be rooted in humility. It needs to be rooted in humility. We defeat cancel culture by establishing a culture of honor. And honor is built on the foundation of humility. Now remember, remember, the beginning of the message today, when I said that every definition of honor includes that of esteeming others better than yourself, in a nutshell, that's humility. And when we walk in that kind of humility, honor is a natural byproduct. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. And then probably one of the verses, I think, that that speaks to the power of humility uh, in changing our world that we quote very often in church circles is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And heal their land. We need our land to be healed today. I, a number of years ago, probably 15 years ago or so, I stopped watching the news. And I've told the people this a lot during the pandemic because I think... A lot of what drives people's anxieties, whether they're fearful of the virus or whether they're fearful of government overreach, no matter which side of the spectrum you're on, I think a lot of the fuel that's driving all of the anxiety is news. And so I've learned to turn it off. It's not that I don't know what's going on in the world. I, I take a few minutes every morning and read through some headlines, but, but then I shut it off. And I don't need to be Uh, filling my mind with the narrative that comes from CNN or Fox all day long. Instead, I try to focus my attention upon him and what he wants to say and do through me rather than what the media wants to sell to me. And you can be on social media and use it as a cause for good, but if you get wrapped up in these conversations and these narratives where, where conspiracy theories on either side of the spectrum are starting to bounce around, then you are going to become a tool of the enemy instead of a weapon for honor in our culture today. And it's so easy to get caught up in this stuff. You know, uh, stuff pops up in your Twitter feed or pops up in, you know, your, your Facebook feed, and all of a sudden you, you click on it and you read it and you go, yeah, that's right. And then next thing you know, slam, you're, you're writing in your comment and you're, you've been swept in to the narrative and away you go. And you're not being used to encourage or build up. You're just being used as a pawn in the ever-advancing uh, cycle of dishonor, which seeks to rip people down on one side or on the other. If we want to build a culture of honor, then in humility it's time for us to start speaking differently than the world speaks. And How I'd like to conclude this message today is by challenging everybody this week to write a eulogy, but write it for the living. Write a eulogy for the living, whether you send it to them in email, whether you post it on their Facebook page. Uh, You don't have to be sadistic and say, I just wanted to write your eulogy. You don't need to do that and identify it that way. But, But I want to encourage you to to do that. And why? Well, because typically we wait until the end of a person's life before we say nice things about them. Wouldn't it be wonderful to eulogize somebody while they're still alive? Wouldn't it be wonderful to speak blessings and and honoring and uh, building up words about them while they're still here and healthy and doing life every day? Why is it that we wait until somebody is no longer working at our company or it's their retirement day or, or you know, it's their, their, their funeral before we actually stand up and we say those things that are on our heart about that person and the impact that they've had upon us? I want to encourage you this week to ask God, who should I say something uh, about or to of how they have impacted my life? And I want you to, to write a living eulogy, And you need to give some thought to this. Don't just just go, hey, man, I just want you to know I really appreciate all you've done for me. Be specific. Name the things that they've done. Talk Talk to them about how much this decision or that decision or this thing they did or that thing that they did impacted your life and changed the course of your life and your future. Really speak to them and honor them for what they have done in your life. And when we do that, I believe something powerful begins to happen. When in their inbox feed in their email or their phone rings and they hear somebody speaking to them and and making those kinds of investments in their heart and in their life, man, you're going to pick them up and it's going to be like you're carrying them. And I'll tell you right now that when I get one of those letters, uh, you know, I I actually keep them. I have a, what I call my encouragement file at home. And uh, I Every letter of encouragement that I've received, I tuck into that file. And then there's days when everybody's getting on my case about something that I go into my office and I shut the door and I pull out that file folder and I read those comments that people made that were incredibly encouraging and built up my life. And I'll tell you right now that, you know, you can, you can go days, days, maybe weeks, maybe even months on one phone call, one email, one conversation where you get built up and where people invest in you because honor is powerful. And when we honor someone else, man, it produces fantastic fruit in their life. So I want to encourage you to do that this week. Eulogize somebody before they leave us. Let them know how much you appreciate them. Let them know how much they've invested in your life and how much they've produced in you. And Whether it's, it's somebody who's a family member or a friend or a coworker, take the time to do it. And God may put more than one on your heart this week. That's fantastic because this honor thing can be contagious as well. When we begin to demonstrate what it is to walk in honor and express honor, other people start to pick up on it and go, hey, this is a good thing. How much more effective to speak honoring words than dishonoring words. How much more effective to build people up rather than to cancel them? Amen? And I want to encourage you to do that. So who is that person that God is speaking to you about today that he wants you to take the time and to either write or phone uh, and then eulogize them in conversation this week? I want you to think and pray about that. And I want you to carry that out this week. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what is going to happen in the body of Christ as we do that. And as I'd said at the beginning of this month, I wanted each Sunday that I got the microphone here, I wanted to honor somebody who has invested in my life. And today, I wanted to just uh, speak uh, words of honor over Pastor Mike Karachuk. And you guys have seen Mike uh, from Desert Stream. He's been here as a missionary in Southeast uh, Asia, and he has lived in Thailand for the last number of years, and in Chiang Mai, and has ministered uh, in in many different countries in Southeast Asia. And I wanted to just take a few minutes to just speak, uh, 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 you know, words of affirmation and blessing about Mike and the impact that he had upon me and my family. I was brought to Belleville because of Mike. I interviewed with him, and he called he spoke to me. He read my resume, and then he, he called me up, and we spoke on the phone, and I came down and did an interview, and it was Mike's desire for my wife and I to come and to work with him when he was the uh, lead pastor at Calvary Temple. So, I was introduced by to Mike, by Mike, I should say, to a, a real passion for missions. One of the things that Mike asked me when I came to be interviewed as a youth pastor is he said, you know, he looked at me, and he said, Kevin, he said, uh, can you get the youth on the mission field in a year? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I would have told him anything, you know, just to, you know, <laughs> to, to impress him, you know, because I, I wanted him to, to believe in me. But I said, sure, I can do that. And I did. I had the, the youth on the mission field about 10 months after I came. And uh, we went to, to Mexico and ministered down there. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And so and what happened, though, when I did that is a, a real passion for missions got deposited in my spirit, and it never, has never left me and I have a heart to take the gospel to the nations. I discovered that ministry could be fun with Mike Karachuk. We would have every uh, uh, Tuesday morning, I think it was, or Thursday morning, we'd have a staff meeting, and staff meeting for Mike just meant we sat around and ate uh, cinnamon buns, drank coffee, and told jokes and had a good morning. And that was our our intense staff meeting that we had. And we sat around, and we had so much fun. And Mike was a guy who could dream up all kinds of things he wanted us to do. But Rob and I, we would bend over backwards to get those things done because we had so much fun working together with Mike. I remember the first time that I I preached on on a Sunday night. I think it was the first Sunday I was at Calvary, that Mike came up to me afterwards, and he put his arm around my shoulder, and he said, Kevin, he said, you preached hard. We prayed hard it's Miller time. And I just started laughing and I thought, what? And, and then I find out this guy's never even smelled a beer cap, let alone ever had a drink. But, but the point was that he was creating an atmosphere of fun and he had just taken and, and, and just invested in me and, and, and made me laugh and, and just built a bond between the two of us by just affirming what I had just done and saying, now it's time to let's just go out. And we went out to Kelsey's afterwards, I think it was, you remember that restaurant? And, uh, and we, we had some nachos and wings and stuff and just had a really good time. Mike taught us what it was to have fun. I also learned the power of team working with Mike. Uh, everything we did, we tended to do and plan together. We, we, we worked together as a unit. And team was at the center of everything that Mike did and wanted to do. And I learned that by believing in people, You get the best out of people. I learned that from Mike. Mike was somebody who believed in people. It wasn't long after I I was ministering there that Mike called me in his office one day, and he said, Kevin, I just want you to know. He said that, um, he said, you in your lifetime, he said, will will you know, do bigger things. He said, preach to greater crowds. He said, have greater access. He said, than I ever had in my life and my calling. He said, because God has his hand on your life. Now, when you come in as a young guy, and someone speaks that into your life, you begin to believe that maybe, just maybe, you actually can do the things that God's putting in your heart. And so Mike, I learned from Mike, you know, at, at that juncture, that if we believe in people, we will get the best out of people. And so it's time for us to speak words of honor and belief in someone. Amen? And it changes everything when we do it. And so I don't know if Mike's watching today, but I just want you to know, Mike, that I love you, appreciate you. I'm so grateful for all the investment that you made in my wife and I and in our family. We're so thankful that you brought us to Belleville uh, and that we are here today, you know, 30 years later, still ministering and, and loving people in this community. We're so grateful for all that God's done in your life, and we're praying today for healing in your life. I know that uh, physically uh, it's been a challenge in the last number of years, and we're praying still that God's going to raise you up from that. Uh, bed of affliction, and plant your feet back on the solid ground, so that you can continue to do the things that god 's called you to do. We love you, Mike, and i 'm so grateful for you in my life. Well, next week, next week i 'm going to preach another uh, message that I think is uh, going to be significant: uh, building a culture of honor by becoming unoffendable and uh, uh, I think this is an important word for us next week, by becoming unoffendable. And, uh, and I think some of you say, oh, you mean by becoming unoffensive? Well, that too, but by becoming unoffendable. And I think both are important, and I'll probably touch on both, but it's important that as the people of God, we become unoffendable. And I'll talk to you about that next week. Um, you know, I believe that this message of honor is, is something that God has trying to restore to his people. And that if we will continue to walk in honor, we can see great things accomplished in the kingdom of God. And so I would just ask you to join me today and pray. And, and, and as we pray, ask God to illuminate that person or persons that he wants you to contact this week and just speak and affirm of their investment in your life. Identify specifically the things that they've done that have brought you to where you are. Let them know how much you love them and how much you appreciate them. Build them up. And uh, whether you do it on Facebook for all to see or whether it's something that needs to be done privately, you be sensitive about that. But I encourage you to make sure you take that step and do your homework this week because I believe God will put a lot of fruit on it, if you will. Let's just bow our heads in prayer this morning as we close. Father, I thank you that, Father, your word, the Bible says your word, when it goes forth, will never return void, but it will accomplish the thing that you planned for it to do. There's a fancy word we have in English for that. It's called efficacious. That means that it will accomplish what it was designed to do. And Lord, there is nothing more efficacious than your word. And Father, I just pray today that God is here, as the truth goes forward and we begin to understand the power of honor in our culture again, that Lord, you would use uh, the body of Christ to build up a culture of honor in which, Father, your love and your truth becomes the, the, the anchor point for uh, our future. Father, I thank you. I know that we have uh, a lot of work to do, but Lord, it begins one person, one uh, statement, one word of honor at a time. And as we build precept upon precept, line upon line, Father, we will see the body of Christ built. And when the body is built, Father, it will overflow into the world. Father, we just thank you for that today. We bless you. We honor you and we thank you for all the work you're doing in our lives. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and thank you for being with us today.